We're going to be singing again in a moment, but we're doing things a little differently today. Just want to be open to what God is saying to us through this incredible series, the book of Daniel. I don't know if any of you watch on television Bear Grylls, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, okay, that's a person. Anyone watch Bear Grylls on television, all right? Bear Grylls is a committed Christian, if you don't know that, a follower of God, very passionate about his faith, as well as eating snakes in the middle of desert and taking the blood out of locusts and all the weird things that he does. He's a survival man, okay? And um, that's quite popular in our culture to look at that. And a few years ago, there was a best-selling book called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Guide. All right, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Guide. And this was a step-by-step illustrated guide to what you do if you're in the worst case scenario. Okay, and so some of the things in that were things like, you're in the middle of a volcanic eruption, what do you do? <laughs> okay, you're in quicksand, what do you do? You're in a shark attack, what do you do? And it gives you a step-by-step guide to what to do if you're faced with that worst case scenario. Let me just see how you do. I'll pick one example out of the book and see how you would do as, as an audience this morning, right? You're faced with an angry mountain lion. The picture should come up there. No? Merlin, you're waking up? Great, thank you very much. You're faced with an angry mountain lion, like I might be with Merlin on Monday morning now. (laughs) What do you do? You've got four options. A, do you run? Hang on a minute, let me give you the options and then I'll give you a chance, all right? Do you run? A, B, do you play dead? C, do you open your coat to look bigger? D, do you sing a gentle song? Now, with no peer pressure at all, okay, be men and women of your own, you know, kind of will and stuff. How many of you think that you should run? Okay, Rachel, she's a runner. She's going, how many think you should play dead? Open your coat to look bigger. Sing a gentle song. The, actual, the answer is C, you open your coat to look bigger, apparently. Okay, now here's another little twist on it, all right? Imagine you're facing an angry mountain lion and you have a small child with you. Do you A, uh, do you A, pick the child up, B, shield the child with your body, C, shield your body with the child, (laughs) or D, run with the notion that you can't outrun the lion, but you can outrun the small child. (laughs) So, sorry, we've got all our children's works this morning. A, pick the child up, who would vote for that? B, shield the child with your body. (laughs) Shield the body with your child. None of you are going to vote for that. Run. The answer is A, pick the child up. The principle is, if you look bigger, that causes the mountain lion to to, to back off. So the next time you're anywhere and you're faced with an angry mountain lion, you now just pick up people's kids and just pick them up like that and you'll be fine. The principle of that is that you never know what challenge life has for you just around the corner. You never know the unexpected challenge that life has for you just around the corner. When England entered into the World Cup finals, they never had any clue that just around the corner that they would be playing Germany. It was so unexpected, wasn't it? And yet this afternoon at three o'clock, they are having that incredible, did you like the link there? Wasn't that phenomenal? We are going to be screening it here in the church. If you want to either kind of experience that together, celebration or commiseration is always better shared in community. So if you want to come, if you think it's too hot, we'll have it down in the coffee shop as well. It's much cooler down there. But that's a challenge, but that's nowhere near the challenge that Daniel had in his life, all the characters that we're looking at. 
Daniel, at the age of 15, would never dream that just around the corner, as he was growing up, serving God in Jerusalem, just around the corner, he would be lifted up, pulled away, taken into Babylon in exile, as we saw in Daniel chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. Yet it happened. And Daniel didn't just survive. It wasn't just a survival guide. He thrived in exile. Daniel would never envisage, as we looked at last week, as Dan Dan talked through us last week, Daniel chapter 2, he'd have never thought that one day he would have to interpret the king's dream or face death. And yet he did it. And in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel is away, out of town. We don't really know where Daniel is in Daniel chapter 3. But his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they have to face the biggest test of faith in their lives. I want to say something to you, okay, uh, as we start this. There is a difference between testing and tempting. Sometimes people get this, this really wrong. The devil tempts us to destroy our faith. But God tests us to develop our faith. So when it says that, that, that God was, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, there was a testing, but the devil then tempted him. See, when the devil tempts you, it's always to destroy your faith. But God tests you to develop your faith. A guy called Warren Wiersbe, who's a commentator, he said, a faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. And if you ever think, you know, my faith is being tested so much, then you should say, thank you, God. Because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, He says, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking to the early Christians who were facing persecution and difficulty. He says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says to the early church, listen, if you're going through fiery trials, and he uses that phrase from the book of Daniel, if you're going through fiery trials, you should rejoice to a degree in that because it says that God is testing your faith and your faith will come forth as gold. God will refine your faith and it will be proved genuine. Fire is a test of faith. When you put anything in the fire, it purifies and it purges. And all of the other stuff, the dross goes away. And what you're left with is the precious metal. And many of you in this room, you can testify to the fact that your faith has been tested, can't you? But you'll also know that if you pass the test, your faith is stronger as a result of that fire. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not difficult, impossible. But I want to suggest that everyone has faith. Nebuchadnezzar had faith. All the men that bowed down to worship the statue, they all had faith. But the question is, what kind of faith pleases God? That's what we want, isn't it? We don't just want faith, because everybody has faith. What kind of faith pleases God? What we're going to do today is to work through this chapter 3, kind of verse by verse and chunk by chunk. And I'm going to pull out different kind of lessons about this, what, what I see from it. The kind of things that characterize faith that pleases God. So if you've got your Bible, Daniel chapter 3. And I've totally lost it. Here we go. And we'll read from verse 1 to 6. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. A little bit more impressive than our statue over there. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So all these guys assembled for the dedication. They stood before it. Then the herald loudly commanded, this is what you are commanded to do, O people, nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now what's interesting about this is that if you were here last week, this is the same king who last week was so awed by God that he said to, all, to Daniel, who'd interpreted his dream, surely your God is the God of gods, didn't he? So last week, he says, whoa, God's God. But this week, he's setting up a statue and asking everyone else to bow down to it. Now, how do we work that out? There's a few things I need to say about this. There is a deeper prophetic picture at work in this, okay, which we'll understand a little bit more in the weeks to come. The, the, the image of, of, of gold is, is a, a pictorial thing that also describes the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It's symbolic of, of exile. Later on, we'll see the three men delivered from the furnace. That's symbolic of Israel coming out of exile and going back into uh, Israel. But the other thing you need to know is there's nearly 20 years between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. We don't pick that up when we read the text. And when you, and this is an encouragement to you, when there's people in your life who you really want, anyone got anyone that they would love to come to faith in God, it takes time. It takes time. I'm going to quote on Irene a little bit today, I suppose just because it's so much in my heart and thinking about the family and thinking about this week. And one of the times when I went to see Irene Curtis recently, she was 78 when she passed away. She told me about a friend of hers who's been a friend for 74 years has not yet come to faith. And she asked me to pray that even at the funeral, this person might come to faith. She's been friends for 74 years, still praying for this person to come to faith. It takes time sometimes, doesn't it? And this man, who 20 years before says, wow, God's amazing. 20 years later, he's kind of not come through to faith that pleases God. God's still at work in his life. But you know, it's amazing how experience of God doesn't necessarily lead to real faith in God. Have you noticed that? There's many people I know who've seen and experienced more of the miraculous power of God than I have and yet don't have faith now that pleases God. It used to amaze me when I used to work for uh, Salt Mine and be involved in Spring Harvest and Christ for All Nations. And I used to do quite a lot of events around the country. And, and there used to be a sound crew that we used to work with who were a Christian-based sound crew, but not all of the guys were Christians. We got to know them quite well at the time. And they were great guys. And some of them would been to their most incredible meetings and mixed sound and being in monks and seeing people healed and come out of wheelchairs and all this and yet had no faith. And you think to yourself, if only I saw a miracle, then I'd really believe, don't you? Yet the truth is, that doesn't happen often. You see, faith that pleases God is not all about the experience. There's something much deeper than that. Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, verse 29, Because you've seen me, Thomas, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. Lesson number one. Faith that pleases God is rooted in the invisible, not the visible. We need to understand that. And, and I love the experience of God. And we do experience God, and that's fantastic. But please don't misunderstand. Just seeing the, the glorious miracles of God does not mean that you will have faith that pleases God because it's rooted in the unseen. We walk by faith, not by sight. 
Let's read on. Daniel chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the, of the, of the instruments, uh, they, men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As soon as the music played, these guys just fell to their knees. There's power in music. There's power in music. And we understand that. And King Nebuchadnezzar understood that. And if you've ever been to a big concert, okay, I've been to some big rock concerts in my time at the NEC, and you'll understand the power of music. And it's worship. It is worship. I went to this one concert once uh, and I was standing on the side and looked out of the thing and it was like the guy who was the lead string of this band, I won't even tell you what the band, name of the band was, it was before I was saved. No, it wasn't. Um, and, and as he lifted his arms, he actually had phenomenal control over the people. And as you looked out over 14,000, 15,000 people, I thought, this is worship, isn't it? As soon as the music hit, worship. That's what happened. All these guys fell to their knees, apart from three men. Apart from three men, it says in verse 8, At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced these Jews. They said to the king, O king, live forever. And that word denounced, literally in the, in, in the original language, it means they tore him like limb to limb. It's like a really aggressive, hostile term. And they say to the king, you issued this decree for all these people to bow down or be thrown in the furnace. These three Jews, they're standing up. They're standing up. And then you read verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. The word worship is used in this chapter 11 times. And worship literally means to express worth. Worship really is about what's most important to you. That's what you will worship. You'll express the worth of what's most important in your lives. You have to understand something about what this gold, is, uh, this image is symbolic of. This, this, this gold image is really symbolic of the king, because he's actually, actually asking people to worship him. That's the God of our culture, me. But it's also symbolic of Babylon. And Babylon is not just a geographical place. Babylon, biblically, is a concept. Babylon literally means the dominant culture believers find themselves in. That's Babylon. So to the early church, okay, the church we read about in the book of Acts... Babylon was Rome, wasn't it? Because that was the dominant culture it found itself in. So when we say we're going to serve God, we're not going to serve Babylon or the gods of Babylon. It was about the culture. Now, our Babylon is not Rome or Persia or the Median Empire or the Greek Empire. Our Babylon is our Western consumer, materialistic and often secular culture, isn't it? And the culture that you and I live in wants us to bow down and worship it. Are you with me? It wants us to pay homage to it. It wants us to give it our worship, our adoration. And often it demands it in such a way that we bow down to it. And that's what we do. Sociologists said, it seduces us into a slavery that is so attractive, comfortable and titillating that we do not recognize it as slavery. I want to suggest to you that the biggest challenge for us as Christians... You know, the early church, and we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, they had to, they had, literally, they had to fight lions and, and persecution and fire, which we'll look at later this morning. But our biggest challenge, our Babylon, if you like, is the culture that says, listen, if you just buy more stuff, if you just own more stuff, if you just possess more stuff, if you're just busier and more fulfilled because of all this material stuff, then you'll be happy. And that's called a lie, isn't it? But the reality is that many of us, all of us, myself included, are somehow caught 
in that whole Babylonian thing. And we hear the music and we bow down. New things come out. We have to have it. We have to have it. Why do we have to have it? Because it's new and we have to have it. We are in slavery to our culture. Why we're in so much debt. Why we're so unhappy as a culture. We have more than we've ever had before. We have more debt. We have more stuff. We have more Prozac. Because the culture has enslaved us and tricked us into thinking that if we bow down and worship it, we'll find what we're looking for and we won't. Because we were created in the image of God. And until we worship and bow down God only, we will never find what we're looking for. How do you know whether you worship the culture or whether you worship God? Let me just give you four little clues. Affection, thoughts, time and money. They will indicate to you what is most important in your life. The affection, things that you love. The thoughts, what do you think about mostly. The time, where you put your time and where you put your money. I don't care about any kind of argument. I think if you boil it right down to the bottom line, that will tell you what or who you worship. Lesson number two, faith that pleases God is obsessed with God center and God first. Amen. The kind of people who have faith that pleases God only bow down to one thing, person, and that's God. It's God center and it's God first. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And then in, in verse 13, we're coming up to just such a phenomenal passage of scripture. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned these three guys and they were brought to him. Now listen, this is important. He said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of all the, the instruments, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, you know, I think that the king likes these guys. I think he's intrigued by their faith. Do you know what I mean? I think he likes, he likes them. He likes Daniel. He likes these guys. There's something about their faith that intrigues him. And I want to tell you, people are intrigued by genuine faith. Even if they don't want to do it, do you know what I mean? If they don't want to give it, they're kind of intrigued by that. And that's where he is in his journey. He's not totally rejecting them, but he's, he's intrigued. But still his worldview is that he is the center of his world. And they're not buying it. And they're not bowing down to him. And they're not bowing down to the culture of which he is the embodiment of. And so he's angry with them. And he's saying, unless you do it, no God, even your God, will not be able to rescue you. And then comes what I think are the two, what, two of the greatest statements of faith in the whole of the Bible. Verse 17, listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, verse 16, replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That takes a lot of courage. But then in verse 17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to serve us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Isn't that amazing? You see, faith that pleases God is convinced that God is able. And I want you just, I want you just to pause on that for a minute. Our God is able. Our God is able. Do you know that? Do you know that? See, faith that pleases God, deep down in its core, believes that God is able. Our God is able to save. You know, you may be people in your life and you think they're so far from God. Our God is able to save. Do you know that? That's totally inspiring seeing those 
young people really on the, on the screen, wasn't it? You know, wasn't that fantastic? Come on then, Hannah, age seven, going on 32. Do you know what I mean? Saying, you know, you know, let your light shine. Our God is able to save. Did you know that? Our God is able to heal. Our God is able to deliver. Our God is able to set people free. Getting really excited at the moment. One of the guys in the church, Simon Woodward, is volunteering a little bit in the day. And he's coming uh, for a couple of days in the week. And you know Simon, you know, might know his story uh, and stuff. And all of a sudden around him, there's some other guys in, in our community, you know, who are starting to come and get attracted. And, you know, and some of them have got very difficult, life-challenging situations, more complex than you could ever imagine. And yet, somehow God seems to be at work amongst them. And you think, Do you know what? God can set people free, can't he? God can transform. Our God is able... Our God is able to deliver. Our God is able to break into a tough situation. You're facing a situation and you think this situation will never change. Our God is able. Our God is able. He's able to reverse something, isn't he? Something that's going that way. Our God is able to reverse it and go the other way. Our God is able to accelerate something that you think will never move. Our God is able to redeem. Our God is able to rescue. Our God is able to lift up. Our God is able to strengthen, to comfort, to soothe. Folks, our God is able. Our God is able. And these three men, faced with the fiery furnace, they say to the king, our God is able. Do what you want. Our God is able. What faith. That is incredible faith, isn't it? Let me tell you, their faith gets even higher in the next verse. Because in verse 18, they say, they say in verse 17, our God is able, but... Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That, in my opinion, is the biggest and deepest and most profound statement of faith in the Bible. Our God is able to save us, but if he doesn't, we're going to worship him anyway. Wow! That is phenomenal, isn't it? Phenomenal. To say, our God is able to save me from death, but if he doesn't, and I die, still going to love him anyway. I was like, wow, I ain't got that kind of faith. I don't, I don't know many people who have, but I want it. I want it. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. And the fourth thing I want to say about faith this morning, faith that pleases God is obedient no matter the cost. The sad indictment on our spirituality in the Western world is that there isn't many believers that believe that. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Esther said, I'll go to the king and if I perish, I perish. God is able to save me, but if he doesn't, I'm going to be obedient anyway. Let me apply it for us this morning. If you're single... And you're praying that God will send you a partner. Faith that pleases God says God is able. And he's able to do that. But faith that pleases God even more says, but if he does not, I'm going to love him anyway. I'm going to serve him as a single person. You may be in a job situation that you're that you're pressured by, that you hate every day. You get out of bed every morning, you've got to work because you've got to pay the bills and you hate it. God is able to give you another job. But if he doesn't, how are you going to serve him in the job that you've got? Perhaps you've lost your job. I know that the pressure is on right now in our society. 
right now. You may have lost your job. God is able to give you a job. You need to believe that. I believe that. But if he doesn't, in the next few weeks or months or longer, what are you going to do? How are you going to serve him? How is your faith going to be worked out if he doesn't give you that job? If you're sick, God is able to heal you. But if he doesn't, I remember just a few months ago, Irene standing here at the front and giving testimony in a service that God had healed her and that the cancer had gone. And uh, that's what the doctors had said. And then just a relatively few weeks ago, it came back with such ravage and such force that it just took her. And, and, and when I went and saw her and started to see her again over these last few weeks, and I, I, I remember thinking as I drove up to the house, okay, I'm thinking about what she might say, which might be, how could God do this? You know, the cancer went. And here it is, come back, and I've served God faithfully all my life. And that would be legitimate, genuine questions, but Irene never asked that. Never. Because she lived and died with a faith that said, our God is able. But if he doesn't, I'm going to love him anyway. And so I'm sitting with her in her living room, and she's telling me about what's going to happen in the funeral service, and who's going to be there, and what I've got to do, and what I've not got to do, and I better make sure I do it right. Okay? And I I will, because I'm scared. And I sat there thinking, lady, this is incredible faith. You always believed that God could heal you. But then when it came obvious that he wasn't going to do that, your faith never wavered. That is phenomenal, isn't it? It's phenomenal. And yet I know so many of us, myself included, that if God gives me the answer to my prayer, then I love him. But if he doesn't, where's God? Where's God? Tough situation. God is able to deliver you. But if he doesn't, what are you going to do? Finances. God is able to provide financially. But if he doesn't, what are you going to do? I hate with a passion our obsession with wealth. The aspirational wealth culture is killing us spiritually. And we somehow think that if we're prosperous, it's a sign of God's blessing upon our lives. For the vast majority of the six billion people on the planet... That is offensive to the extreme. Some of the most spiritually blessed people I know are the financially, materially poorest people on the planet. They have faith that pleases God. We have to fight it with every fiber of our being. Our God is able, but if he doesn't, what are we going to do? Serving Jesus. If God gave me friends to encourage me, then I'd serve him. God is able, but if he doesn't, Church, if only the church that I went to was what I needed it to be. Well, our God is able, but if it's not, what are you going to do? Our faith becomes so shallow when it's determined by how we feel. I want to suggest it's no real faith at all. And yet these three guys that are faced with the fiery furnace, they say, our faith is God is able, but King, if he doesn't, we're still only going to bow down to him and not to you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to worship him for a moment. I'm going to come back. I haven't quite finished, but we just want to just break out of the story for a moment and just pause and let God speak to us and just worship him together. And worship, please. Worship is not how we sing the songs this morning. That's what we're going to do now. But worship is how you take the words and how you apply it in your lives. So if you're single, it's, it's what does that mean? If God doesn't provide that partner for you. If you're sick, what does it mean if God doesn't heal you? If you're financially strapped, what does it mean if that doesn't get sorted out? 
If you don't get that new job, what does it mean? That's worship, isn't it? How we respond to that. Why don't we stand together? And I want to just read some verses from the book of Habakkuk just before we sing. And Habakkuk the prophet, it starts off in Habakkuk chapter 1 when he says, God, what are you doing? You know, Israel's in a mess and you're raising up Babylon to take him into exile. What are you doing? And he has this big discourse with God all the way through the book of Habakkuk. Then right at the end, he says this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. He says, though everything else isn't looking great and isn't going how I want it to go, I'm going to worship God anyway. Isn't that amazing? That's faith, isn't it? So I want to encourage you. Let's bow down today. Let's worship our God for who He is, not just for what He's done. And He has done great things in our life. But let's not get pressed by our culture. Let's get passionate about our God as we worship Him.
Ask God to help you connect this with, with what he's been saying, you know, with your life. There are areas of your life where you've you just sensed that actually you have been bowing down to the image. You've been bowing down to the culture. You've been frustrated because you can't get more. And you, perhaps your friends have got more and you want more. And you say, come on, God. And there's times when you think, you know, if only this would change, then God. Just, just that's, the bow, that's, what I'm, that's the culture. That's the bowing down. That's the Babylon. And just say, God, help me to just bow down to you, just to worship you, Lord God. And you're able to do all that. But if you don't, God, then I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to serve you anyway. Because I'm not captive to all of this stuff. Because you've set me free. You've set me free. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. 
God, we love you. Just, just tell the Lord that you love him this morning, okay? Just tell the Lord you love him. Jesus said to Peter, after all that he'd failed and all he'd messed up, he just said, do you love me? That's what it's about. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. It's what God wants. Then love your neighbor as yourself. It's really simple. Do you love me? If you love me, then that's the, that's the only thing that we bow down to God. Firm it again. God, I love you. God, I love you. And if you say, well, I don't know whether I do, but I want to. That's great. That's desire. God meets us at that point of desire. God, we want to love you. We want to let our lives reflect. We want faith that pleases God. Not because we feel we have to or we, want, we need approval, but because we love you. That's why we want to please you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for just such incredible power in some of these old stories. We heard them in our Sunday school days, some of us, but God, they come home and they're, they're alive and they're dynamic and they're powerfully challenging to us. And God, I pray that as we now dip back into the story and look at what happens, that God, again, that you would speak to us and affirm and encourage and challenge and teach us, Lord, from your word from the faith of these three guys. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. After Nebuchadnezzar heard those two incredible statements of faith, our God is able, but even if he does not, we're not going to bow down. Then it all changes. In verse 19, you read that what happens is that um, Nebuchadnezzar was furious he went from being intrigued by their faith to being furious. It says his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. That in, in biblical language, it doesn't mean seven. Okay, seven is the number they used to use for loads of times. All right? So it's like when G Peter said, how many times should I forgive to Jesus? 70 times seven, all that. It's the number that's used for just loads of times. So they just turned the dial up or whatever they did on the furnace at the time and cranked it up as hot as it could go. And then as his soldiers, it says, um, in his army, they tied them up. The men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans were bound and thrown into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Death was, was escapable to them. They only had to say the word, didn't they? They only had to say, we'll bow down. They only had to deny God and death was escapable, but they didn't. Now, of course, this morning we've been looking at this as a metaphor for life. So you're having a tough time at work, you're sick, or that, and all that's true. And of course, none of us have to face this in reality, do we? No believer of Christ, no believer of God ever has to face this kind of stuff in real life, don't they? Do they? Well, of course they do. All of the disciples, apart from John, faced and, and went through a martyr's death. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. Some were flayed alive. Some were beaten and tortured. Some were put, were, 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 were died through having hot oil poured over their bodies. That's what happened. To, Thomas was speared in southern India. All of the disciples, apart from John, faced literally, physically, not a metaphor, faced death for their faith. Polycarp, that's the name of a person, by the way. He was a student of John. 
And right towards the end of his life, he was on, on, on the run from the Romans. And, and someone had reported that this old man who was a follower, who was on the run, uh, was in a certain village and he was arrested. And as he was arrested by the soldiers, he asked if he could have an hour to pray. And as the soldiers watched him pray, they were so convicted by this man's faith that they wanted to give their lives to Christ. But then this man was taken before the governor. And the governor at the time there said to him, he gave him a chance, he said, uh, repent, recant, okay, say that you don't, that, that you won't, don't, don't bow the knee to Christ, but you'll bow the knee to Caesar, and you'll be spared from being burnt alive in the marketplace. Polycarp said this, for 86 years I have served him. How then should I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And apparently stories go that as they burned Polycarp at the stake in this town, none of the flames burnt his hair. And so apparently they were so insensible that, that they ran him through with a sword. And his last prayer reported to have been prayed was this, I praise you God for making me worthy to be received among the number of the martyrs this day and this hour so that I share in the cup of Christ for the resurrection of my soul. I want to suggest he had what it takes, didn't he? Origen was a guy who lived in the 2nd century based in Egypt, eventually imprisoned, tortured and killed for his faith. He said, they burned our possessions, but they cannot burn Jesus from our hearts. And just in case you think, oh, that's all really inspiring, but that's all centuries ago, there have been more people that have been martyred for their faith in the last hundred years than in all the other centuries put together. And right now, across this world of ours, there are people who are living in horrendous situations, in prison, facing death, because they refuse to bow their knee to Babylon, they'll only bow their knee to Christ. We call it the persecuted church. We have a prayer group that gathers here. It's very small. And tomorrow night, that will be part of that discussion in that open coffee evening down in the community zone, as well as other issues. If you're around to come tomorrow evening and listen to that, it's not just ancient history, folks. It's current reality. And whereas we look at these stories in our Western culture as metaphors, many believers all around the world, they don't think about metaphors. They think about real life. They think, if I don't deny Christ, I may be physically burnt for my faith. That's what is happening. Salima, a 19-year-old Pakistani girl, said, I'd rather be hung than betray my Lord. And how many of our 19-year-olds or 29 or 39-year-olds would ever say that? This still has nothing to do with us, though, does it? It's very easy, isn't it, just to push that aside and say, it's nothing to do with us. And we may not face the physical threat to our lives that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego face, that Polycarp face, that Origin face, that many people in the world face currently. We may never face that, but we still face furnaces. We still face furnaces. And it says in 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, so he threw these guys in them. And then in verse 24, he throws them in. And then in verse 24, he leapt to his feet in amazement. And he asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? It's quite comical, really. And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And this is where it is relevant to us. I believe all of this is relevant to us. But this is where it really hits home. The fourth man in the furnace looks like the Son of God. That's a reference to what they call a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate um, appearance of Christ. Okay, so, so it happened at um, uh, Joshua, at the, the Battle of Jericho, the commander of the army. That's a theophany. The, the man that, that Jacob wrestled with through the night. 
It, it's like a pre-incarnate, it's God, it's Jesus who appeared in the furnace. And right there in that furnace, there's three guys and Jesus. I want to suggest to you, it's the hottest life group in the history of the church. Literally. We talk about Jesus in the midst, where two or three are gathered in my name. He was there, and he was there in the furnace. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. What would Jesus have said as he wandered around the furnace with these three guys? What do you think he would have said? I wonder whether he would have said, guys, I am so proud of your devotion, that you refused to bow the knee to Babylon, that you went through this, that you gave your life for me because you love me. I I, I just can't imagine the pride in that, at their devotion. I wonder if he said, guys, you need to know that your names are going to go down in history and you're going to encourage countless millions of other believers who will also face fiery trials like you faced. And their faith won't fail neither because they'll remember that your faith didn't fail. And they'll know that it's possible. I wonder if he said that. I wonder if he also said this. And can I say, guys, I always planned to meet you in the furnace. I always planned to meet you in the furnace. This is where I planned to really meet you. See, we live in a culture of furnace avoidance. We live in a spirituality, and I hear it all the time. And to my shame, I get part um, part of that as well. And our prayers are, Lord, please make my life easier, smoother, comfortable, more fulfilling for me, please, more happy for me, so I can reach my potential with as less pain, as less discomfort, and as less irritation as possible. If you could do that, then that would be really great. And do you know what? If you could do all of that, I might actually love you and serve you. And God says, oh, thank you very much. And we live in a culture of furnace avoidance. Paul, Apostle Paul, prays in the book of Corinthians. You know the about the thorn in the flesh. And he prays three times for this thorn in the flesh. Whatever it is, we don't really know what it is. We've all got our ideas. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, Three times I pleaded with the Lord for it to be taken away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, he says, listen, Paul, whatever that thorn in the flesh is, it's going to stay because I'll meet you there. I'll meet you in the furnace. Here's a thought, and there's a picture coming up. I wonder if God, this is a crazy thought, I wonder if God might have a calendar, and it's got a date ringed. And in God's calendar it says, meet Leon in the furnace on that day. Meet Jackie in the furnace, meet Paul. Meet Heather, meet Liz, meet Teresa, meet Matt, meet Janita, meet them in the furnace. What would have happened if we hadn't have turned up? What would have happened if those three guys hadn't have turned up? Jesus would have. God would have, but they wouldn't. And they would have missed the adventure of a lifetime. They would have missed the affirmation of their God. They'd have missed that experience, wouldn't they? Phenomenal, phenomenal story. What kind of faith do you really want? kind of faith do you really want? Do you want a kind of faith that is governed by how life turns out for you or do you want a faith that isn't governed by that but is driven out of your love and devotion to God and you know, you know, you know, you know that God is able and you live like that but if he doesn't then do you know what? You're not going to avoid the furnace. You're going to go through that because that's where you meet God because faith isn't about obeying, it isn't about believing in spite of evidence, it's obeying in spite of consequence. And that's what happened. And I want to suggest to you this morning 
that faith that God is looking for that pleases God is not a faith that tries to avoid the furnace, but embraces it. Michael Job was an Indian Christian medical student who was killed in June of 1999 because of his father's evangelistic activities. The family sent this uh, to be included in a book, which, which I've read, a book on modern day martyrs. And it says this, I asked for strength and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity and God gave me brain and brawn to work. I asked for courage and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for love and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. My prayer has been answered. I wonder what kind of prayers we pray. They're pathetic, aren't they? My prayers are pathetic most of the time. And you say, God, if we look at this life of Daniel and these characters, give us a faith that's got what it takes. Amen. Where we say, Lord, we will not try to avoid the furnace. Because if that's part of being obedient to you, then we go through the furnace. And here's the amazing, amazing thing. We dip back to the story for the last time. Where is it? Where am I at? Come on, come on, where am I at? I've lost the place. Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet. He saw this fourth man. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, come here. So they come out. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then the king said, praise be to the God of... Here he is again. Do you know what I mean? Same as in chapter 2. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. What a great phrase that is. No other God can save in this way. And God rescued them. God was able and God did rescue them, but they didn't know that. They didn't know that. They went into the furnace not knowing whether they would come out or not, but their faith remained strong. Many, many people have been in the furnaces and they haven't come out. But what they have done is they've been an incredible witness to God, as this was, isn't it? When I went to Korea, South Korea, a few years ago, the turn of the 1900s, there were no Christians in Korea. By the 80s, one in three people in South Korea was a Christian. And they trace it back to the 1950s when, when an American GI and a Marine guy was shot on the beach. And as he died, as he shot, literally he threw a Bible onto the thing. And they literally say that the, the blood of, 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 of believers actually seeded the revival that happened in South Korea in the 80s and the 90s. Phenomenal. Because they had a faith that has what it takes. And so I want to say to you this morning as we finish, are you facing a furnace? Are you facing a tough situation in your life? Don't try and avoid it. Ask God to give you the strength that your faith wouldn't fail. I want to ask the guys to come back. One of the most inspiring verses for me, and I know Janet spoke on this a few months ago, is when Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter. What have I prayed? I've prayed that you have an easy time. I've prayed that you wouldn't have to face the... No, I've prayed that your faith would not fail. So I just wonder this morning, if you can start to play, guys. If any of us... If any of you guys are facing a fiery furnace, you're facing a tough time, I want to pray for you that your faith wouldn't fail. I'm not going to pray necessarily that the heat would go down. I'm not going to necessarily pray that the furnace would disappear. But I am going to pray that your faith wouldn't fail. So shall we just close our eyes for a moment? Just this morning, if you've been spoken to by God and 
and you say, Lord God, I I don't want to be a furnace avoider. God, I want my faith to remain strong no matter what is happening. And you may be in a furnace right now. You may be facing a furnace right now. And your prayer, your prayer today, perhaps your prayer up to today has been, please turn it down. Perhaps now your prayer today is, please, Lord, let my faith remain strong. Let my faith remain strong through this furnace. See, this is where the verses in Isaiah come in. It says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. When you pass through the waters, you will not drown. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. That's what this is in reference to, really. That's what it really means, isn't it? So your prayer this morning, your prayer is that, Lord, I want my faith to remain strong. Then I want to pray for you. So if this morning you're facing that or you're in it, just stand. Just stand. There's a thing to say, God, I want to remain strong. And I want to just pray for you this morning. Jesus. Lord God. Good. Father, I want to just pray for these fantastic people here who are saying that they want their faith to remain strong. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, if you're sitting down and you're around someone who's standing, just look up for a minute. Just put your hand upon the shoulder. Would you do that? Just get community for a moment. And just let's just pray. Sense God's Spirit is really at work with this morning. Father, we pray for these guys and girls. God, would you cause their faith to remain strong through this furnace in Jesus' name. God, it's just so awesome to see black and white and old and young and male and female and just wanting to serve you and their faith to remain strong. Father, would you encourage them and strengthen them, I pray. Lord Jesus, as you prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, we pray right now that their faith would not fail, that they would remain strong. God, I pray that in the furnace, they would meet you. They would meet the fourth man in the furnace. They would know that they're not alone. They go through waters and they will not drown. They go through fire, they will not be burnt. We can lose our life and yet our faith cannot be burnt. Our faith remains strong. So God, we pray that their faith would remain strong in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they would hear the words of Jesus clearer than they've ever heard them before. Pray that your word would come alive to them in ways it's never done before. God, I pray it would be fresh. It would be like fresh bread every morning that would give them strength and sustenance for this challenge that they're facing. And God, where the enemy is at work, we call his work to an end in Jesus' name where he is seeking to disrupt and to bring despair and to, and to eat away at their faith and their confidence. We call his work to an end. And we ask you, God, to strengthen them on the inner man, on the inner woman, that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are loved, that they're secure, and that you are where they are. God, I pray that they would just know somehow the joy of meeting the fourth man in the furnace. And their lives would be transformed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I'm going to just sing an anthem as we finish. And this is just a great declaration. And for all of us, I think, just to declare this together. You know, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it says, oh no, you never let go. And I want you to know this morning, God never lets go of us. Do you know that? Even in the furnace, he's there. What a phenomenal thought. So we're going to declare this and sing this out. And just want to encourage you, just to say, God, just strengthen my faith that I'd have what it takes to please you in this era. In Jesus' name. Thanks, man.
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect 